When somebody comes in to meet with us, we will just sit down and have kind of an open-ended chat really to kind of figure out what's going on in their life. What has led them to this point where they're being referred to social prescribing? So we get a sense of maybe just outline of what some of the issues are, which as you say, maybe financial, maybe social, maybe relationship. So really that first engagement with the person is allowing them to open up and share their story. Welcome to the HSE Talking Health and Wellbeing podcast. My name is Noreen Turley and today we will be talking about all things social prescribing. We have seen the upscale of social prescribing over the last 18 months through the rollout of Solange Care Health Communities. And we have Caramon, Social Prescribing Coordinator from the Bray Area Partnership to help us discuss all things social prescribing. You're very welcome, Cara. Thank you for coming in. Bray Partnership, what is it and what does it do? Bray Area Partnership is a partnership company and so it has a geographical area of Bray and North Wicklow and they run a range of programmes including social inclusion. So social prescribing fits nicely under the social inclusion banner and they also run the PSYCAP programme as well. So social prescribing, I know that the HSE launched its social prescribing framework in September 2021 and it's now part of mainstream service provision in the HSE. Mm-hmm. What is social prescribing? Social prescribing in its essence is a service which helps people to access a range of in-person supports, I suppose most commonly within the, the community of the individual. People are referred into us by GPs, other health professionals and can also self-refer. And this is really where the name came from, social prescribing, the idea that a doctor would give an individual, give a patient of theirs a social prescription rather than a medical prescription. So we're the social side of it, working as a social prescribing coordinator. And I will work with someone quite closely in order to be able to maybe unpack what their needs are and to link them in with the sources of support within their own community. I was reading something the other day that said about one in five general practitioner visits are for non-medical problems such as loneliness or financial difficulty. And this is known to have a big impact on the patient's health and well-being. So are they the type of people that would come to you that it's not necessarily medical, it's just social issues that they have? Absolutely. So a frequent attender in a GP really will have a range of needs that are possibly beyond the scope of of the GP to deal with. And ideally, when someone like that is referred to us, we can give them that one-on-one time to maybe unpack what those needs are. And as you said, they may be financial, they may be social, someone may be isolated, lonely, and not really know where to go for help. And I suppose as a a coordinator, we have kind of our finger on the pulse in the community as to what's going on and what may suit this, this individual. Yeah, so if somebody comes into you, they're referred to you by a GP, what do you do? What was, what's the first visit? What's the process of social prescribing? I suppose the very first thing is I'll receive a referral form in from a GP. And on that form will be included a little bit of information, including maybe the age range, where else the individual might be already linked into. Sometimes the, the referral may come from mental health services. And I would make contact with them. I would introduce myself, first of all, by text, give them the heads up that I'm going to make a, a call to them and then invite them to come in and meet with me in our offices. When somebody comes in to meet with us, we will just sit down and have kind of an open ended chat really to kind of figure out what's going on in their life. What has led them to this point where they're being referred to social prescribing? So we get a sense of 
maybe just outline of what some of the issues are, which, as you say, maybe financial, maybe social, maybe relationship, maybe somebody's in need of employment. They have a disability. They don't know how to kind of move back into the area of employment after maybe a long term health condition. So really that first engagement with the person is allowing them to open up and share their story. And so what is the difference that you can offer that maybe a social worker or, or another healthcare professional can offer? And is not I healthcare professionals, would they not think, well, we've been doing this for years. What's the difference with social prescribing? And in a sense, they have. You're absolutely right. I mean, I think working as a GP must be incredibly challenging. They have to deal with the medical side of things as well as quite often the social side of things. But the advantage of social prescribing is that we can focus in on that area. That is our role to maybe look at where a person is and what the social supports that they require at this moment in time are. So we're taking the medical out of it and we're able to give the time and attention maybe to the other social needs. Yeah. So I suppose the key there is the time and attention that you can give to the person that maybe another healthcare professional who's looking after their medical needs may not have. Exactly. And I think as well, you know, we have a very person centred approach. It's not what's the matter with somebody, but what matters to somebody. And for this reason, we call the people that we work with participants. They are participating in the programme. They're actively engaging in the process of social prescribing. Yeah. And what type of people come to you? Like have they, they've obviously, if they've been referred on to you, they've agreed to be referred, but you also have self-referrals and how would people do that? How would they self-refer to you? Yeah, just to maybe answer the, f- the first part of the question, our social prescribing service is open to anybody over the age of 18 within the, the geographic area we work, which is Bray and Greystones Municipal Districts. And really We receive referrals and people self-refer from all walks of life, really across the spectrum from 18 to 80 plus, definitely. And the people that I suppose are referred in by medical professionals, we get referrals in from GPs, from two of our local hospitals, St. Michael's and Lachlanstown, physios within the area, social work, you know, a whole, a whole broad range of areas. And then also self-referrals come in. So it might be somebody who might just phone up Bray Area Partnership and they kind of have a, you know, a query and the receptionist might think, gosh, that sounds like that person may in fact benefit from social prescribing and may put them through to us. Then we will also actually deliver some programs ourselves where we see there's a gap within the community, where we have identified that we might have a number of participants in the social prescribing program that need something in particular that's just not available in our area, we may ourselves deliver that program. And when we do so, we'll then advertise it more broadly. So, for example, we've run a huge number of walking groups. Initially, they were virtual walking groups during COVID and they're now in person, which is definitely much better. But yeah, absolutely. somehow it's somehow still managed to work. And then people will self-refer for that. And we find that the, the profile of those that actually self-refer themselves is quite different than those that are referred to us. When people self-refer, there's a lot of agency in it. They're more acutely aware of what their needs are and they're they're actually ready to engage. So s- social prescribing then isn't really just for elderly people. It could be any age from 18 up. And do you have any examples of maybe a younger person that has come to you and has used the service and how it has benefited them? Quite often we find that young mothers are referred into our service. And I guess it's a period of transition. It can be quite isolating to suddenly find yourself with a baby you can't 
do the usual recreational activities that you may have in the past. It can be quite overwhelming. People are deprived of sleep. It can be a difficult transition. And quite often, as I said, young mothers may be referred into us. So there was there was one woman in particular that I'm thinking of. And due to a range of other challenges in, in her life, she had found herself unemployed shortly before giving birth and then not really knowing now when she had a child how to once again access employment, mm. where to look for childcare. Could she go back to the career that she had been in before or would she need to retrain? So I was able to kind of unpack some of these needs and referred her on to our local adult guidance service. And they encouraged her to re return to education. Excellent. And after a period of time, the girl's actually now in Trinity. Excellent. So she yeah. wouldn't have accessed third level education before. She would have been probably in a lower pay paid employment. And now she's really on course to do to, to have a very good career. Um, very good. So you just talk, talked her through the process. And I suppose, did you just give her the confidence or try and help her develop her confidence to move forward? So it's like a springboard for other areas. It is. I, and I suppose like I, what we find is quite often people don't come forward with just one issue. Okay. You know, it, it's really a range of issues and that compounds the situation. So she was a young mother. She was distressed. She needed social outlets as well as needing good career guidance, as well as needing to know how to access childcare supports and, and other financial supports. So it was, it was kind of a range of things yeah. there. So citizens information would have been another place that she would have accessed advice from based on our, our signposting. So it sounds like partnership with all of the community advisory services is key to social prescribing and working together and knowing what's out there. Knowing sure. what's in your own community. Yeah. So yeah. you're playing a pivotal role in knowing what's in your community and knowing what's the best fit for the person who presents to you. Sure. Would you say that? I would say that. And I'd say as well, you know, like what's in the community can be very, very broad. Quite often we may even be referring somebody back to a HSE service. Yeah. We may be referring them into to living well. We may be referring them for counselling. So there's kind of touching in on the health again, as well as all the social and the community services. And Cara, when you say that somebody comes to you with a range of maybe difficulties, how do you draw the line or where are the boundaries of the type of person or what's the exact criteria of the type of person that refers to you? To me, would it be just that somebody would say, oh, I can't do anything for this person. Just, oh, go to social prescribing and maybe that'll help you. Yeah, you occasionally know, we, we do get referrals in a little bit like that. That's not quite ideal. But I guess when another health professional uh, refers to us as last resort, it's it's really we're not perhaps the most appropriate service. So if somebody is in an acute crisis, they're probably better you know, going to the targeted supports around their basic needs, if it's health or it's housing or it's addiction services. But I guess where we can help is really where somebody's suffering from social isolation, for example. So post-COVID, people may benefit from, I suppose, engaging just socially, you know, starting mm -hmm. off small steps, gently, perhaps with a walking group like we have done before. People whose emotional well-being may be improved through developing new social contacts and having just new outlets, new ways of meeting people. People with chronic health conditions who are maybe struggling to manage those conditions and people new to the community. 
Mm. We quite we have some direct provision centres within our geographic area, and sometimes people get referred or self refer from from those communities, and it's great to be able to work with them and introduce them to what's in our community. Yeah, excellent. And is is social prescribing, it sounds to me like it's, well, we know that the framework was only introduced in 2021, so it's really in its infancy. I would say, obviously, your area, it's been going longer in your Bray partnership, but in some areas around the country, yeah. I think it's just in development, if it, you like. It is. And I, I, I'd even say we're we're still still in development. We started in 2018 with the employment of a part-time social prescribing coordinator funded through Healthy Ireland. So that was the beginning of the programme in Bray and Greystones. But really, like the foundational work has taken up until now, mm. establishing the links with healthcare providers and other stakeholders, getting the word out in the community, sharing the stories of what social prescribing is about and what it can do, mm. and constantly keeping ourselves refreshed and updated with what's available. Obviously, when COVID hit, those resources that we were used to using within the community all disappeared overnight. Yes. And we had to find a whole new set of resources online in order to be able to link people up and also mm. work with people in a different way during that time. So now that we're out of that, we're again kind of re-establishing connections within the community. Were you inundated then with referrals after COVID because of the isolation and because of people feeling really lonely? Did you see an increase in referrals to you? I would say what happened was when COVID hit, we saw a drop off in referrals. And what ended up happening is maybe some of the individuals that we'd been working with, we needed to work with for a bit longer during that period of time. Then the referrals did indeed pick up when things were getting back to normal. And I would say this past month, two months has been the busiest we've had yet. We've had a huge number of referrals in. We're definitely at capacity at the moment. So is that just showing the success of the work that you're doing and the impact of that you've made to people's lives, that they're hearing about it more? And just like we're doing today, we're trying to promote social prescribing. But because you've been so successful, it's getting busier and busier and busier. Yeah, certainly. And, and what I'd say is that it takes that length of time to establish the service, to establish your referral pathways, the ways mm. of working, you know, get known in the community. Get trusted, I'm sure it's to be yeah. so that people will trust you in the community as well. Absolutely. And and certainly the referral process, it sounds very simple when you, you say, you know, we have a referral form, a GP will fill out the referral form, we'll receive it and then we'll make contact with the participant. But sometimes that requires a little bit of back and forth. Forward, just mm. refining that process and outlining what are our criteria. You know, for example, like if somebody is homeless or is in active addiction, possibly social prescribing isn't the, the most yeah. appropriate service for them at this time. Or as I mentioned earlier, if they're deep in crisis. So there is a little bit of back and forward with a referring agent for a little while until we kind of refine that process and find out what works well and, and build up that trust, as you say. And that can take a little bit of time. Yeah. And then how long would you have somebody on your books or how long would somebody be if you've got that little bit back and forward, then you're mm -hmm. trying to establish something that's going to benefit to them. How do you kind of let them go then? Mm. Or how do you know when to let them go? Is there criteria for that? Is there is that part of the framework? Sure. I, I suppose the thing is the, the guidelines will be maybe an average of six to eight sessions with somebody. And I suppose in my mind, that probably translates to about six to eight weeks where okay. we might meet people a few times during that and maybe use phone calls after the initial couple of meetings. 
it varies depending on the needs of the individual. But we do let people know at the beginning that this is a short term support. This okay. is not a long term yeah. support service. It's not going to work for that. We, I suppose there's, there's a phrase supported transition. We're the okay. short term support to help somebody transition to the longer term supports that are available within the community. Yeah, because you could imagine with that individualised attention and care that somebody could become dependent on it. Absolutely. And maybe for the first time in their lives, somebody has actually listened to what they need, you know, so that's. Yes. Uh, yeah. And I think you're, you're, you're hitting on a few different things there, like really listening to somebody can make a big difference for them. Maybe somebody has been shuttled around a few different services and they come to us and finally they can maybe offload some of what they're carrying and they might have quite an intense story and, and life experience behind that. And definitely working as a social prescribing coordinator, you need quite strong boundaries, you know, to be able to, to also know what we can do and when is it best to, to refer on and to graduate somebody from the programme. There are going to be some people who may not feel themselves that there's an, an ideal time. So it does take a little bit of encouragement. Also, you know, when somebody has built up the confidence, when they've been linked in with maybe a number of other supports, then, you know, we can encourage them by also saying that we need to also free up space for new people. And people yeah. tend to understand and respect that, particularly if they've had a good experience with us. They want other people to also have that opportunity so yeah. they, they can understand that. So it, the time does vary, but it is really designed as a shorter term support. Yeah. And then how do you evaluate it or how do you know it's worked? It must be very difficult because it's something, it must be hard to measure. It isn't really. I think, you know, it, the engagement is with the person. The relationship is between the coordinator or link worker and the, the participant. And so, you know, when when somebody's life is improving and things are, are getting better for them, we do try to quantify it as well. And we record a number of different measures. So maybe in our first meeting or perhaps in our, our second meeting with an individual, we will take some demographics and some other information. So we will ask about GP attendance. So what was mentioned earlier is that frequent attenders in, in, in the GPs, are, would they be suitable? And yes, they would. So we do record at the beginning and at our conclusion of working with somebody, how many times they visited the GP in the last three months. Mm. And quite often we'll see a reduction in GP visits where somebody has been a frequent GP attender for social reasons. So that's very easy to measure. Then, it's isn't very it really? Now it's self-reported. So it's, yeah. you know, subject to a little bit of, of, of bias there. But yeah. you do get a sense that somebody is feeling like their 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 needs are being met in other areas. So we also ask questions relating to self-reported community involvement because we want to find out if those that we are, we are working with are becoming more involved with the community as a result of the engagement. So we look at their current involvement, their knowledge of the services available within the community and their likelihood to use this service. And this is one as well. We see a good improvement on this during the course of our engagement with somebody. Then we use a well-being scale. I know Different social prescribing programs use different scales, but the one we've chosen is the short Warwick Edinburgh scale. And on this as well, we see, I suppose there, there is evidence of improvement, but what we would find is perhaps that the improvement recorded using these scales might not be as reflective of the full change and benefit of social prescribing. So we find that the qualitative feedback and what we see as well after working with someone for mm you know, a month, two months, three months, we might see huge changes in their life. We see quite a transformation and we would see maybe a small improvement on the scale. Yeah. So while we are seeing the improvements, we're not finding necessarily at the moment that it's reflecting 
the full breadth of the change and yeah. improvement in an individual. So I would say the whole area of evaluation is still quite challenging and we're working on it and we're working on it in terms of, you know, how how do we ask the questions? And, you know, during COVID, we had to ask them from a distance and yes. now we can ask someone sitting beside them and, yeah. you know, respond to questions they may have ab about them. So it's definitely a process and something we're working on, but we do have evidence that it is working. And perhaps maybe that strongest evidence is that qualitative feedback. Yeah, that's great. And so with all of that and all of the rewards that you obviously get from working within social prescribing and you see mm -hmm. somebody developing and getting better and moving on with their lives and maybe living in a healthier lifestyle, what type of person do you think it takes to be a link worker, social prescribing link worker mm -hmm. or coordinator? I mean, it, it's a certain type of person I would assume that's able to do it. Yeah, I, I think. And especially because, sorry, because it's such a new role. Mm -hmm. I think really the role requires a lot of empathy. And I, I think the most powerful tool that I have to work with someone is to be able to listen to their story and to hear where they are at in life and what it is they're looking for and what their needs are. And to, I suppose, allow that change to be what they see as what as their priority and not necessarily expect anything more. So it's it's really those skills around empathy and listening and understanding, I think, need to be very strong at the same time as boundaries, because I know personally I care deeply about my participants, but, mm. you know, I, I need to keep those boundaries in place yeah. or, yeah, and I guess be very in a, challenging. In a, in a lot of healthcare professions, it is about boundaries because of the empathy that you bring to the post or to the job. It's important to have those boundaries for your own health and well-being. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I can imagine that it's kind of a difficult one that you'd have to work on. But I think that all of us who work in healthcare down the line have had to do that. I think so. Yeah. Yes. So it sounds like social prescribing really empowers people to take an active role in their own health and encourage healthy lifestyles. And it really has the potential to support population health and well-being and to reduce the pressure on the healthcare system, mm -hmm. really. So if we're talking about reducing visits to GPs and you're able to measure them, then that's really, really significant, isn't it, mm -hmm. for the whole thing? And is social prescribing available every place in Ireland or is it only in Bray? Do we all have to go to Bray? <laughs> Bray may be a very good programme, but there's plenty of good ones out there. <laughs> You're all in competition with each other, are you? Definitely not. No, we work we work very collaboratively. There are programs all around the country and there seems to be, you know, it seems to be growing all the time. And there is a website, All Ireland Social Prescribing, which has a map which shows exactly where, where, the, where the programs are. So people can actually go in there and access the information on their closest social prescribing program. And what we find is that sometimes people contact us who may be outside our area, but we work very closely with our colleague in South Wicklow and our colleagues in South County Dublin. And so we can, you know, just easily refer them on to the, the programme that's appropriate to their area. So there's never yeah. a problem getting in contact and being referred elsewhere. Yeah. And as far as I know, there's 19 areas that are funded through Sláinte Care. Mm -hmm. But as well as that, the future for social prescribing is that they would hope that there will be a link worker for each of the 96 community healthcare networks that are planned to deliver primary care. So if a healthcare worker is listening to you today, what would you advise them to do if they want to refer somebody for social prescribing? Go to the website, look up your local programme, 
pick up the phone or email them and make contact with them and they'll be able to let you know, you know, with with on the ground information, what's available within their area. And would you say that to somebody who wants to self-refer, who's listening to this and think, well, you know what, I could really use social prescribing to connect me to my community. Absolutely. Do you think they would be able to do that through self-referral? I do. And I also think, you know, there's always the opportunity to phone up and ask more before self-referring. You're not going to be committed to anything. It's completely voluntary. Someone can just say, you know, I'm interested in it for X, Y and Z reasons and we can talk them through the process and see if it's going to be a good fit for them. Yeah, and I thought it was really interesting earlier you said that if somebody called the receptionist in the in the Brave Partnership, that she would maybe be able to refer on or suggest to somebody that they could get social prescribing. So it's increasing the awareness all the time at every contact mm-hmm. with the health service Absolutely. or with the community mm-hmm. partnerships to yes. say, well, this is something that's available for you. It's just in constantly increasing awareness for it. Definitely. And I, I think just to kind of go back to a point that we touched on briefly earlier is when we run our own programs, we advertise that within the community through posters, through social media and through other stakeholders in the community. And what we find is the people that self-refer to those programs. So it might be a walking group, physical activity program, creative cafe. These are just some of the things we've run in the past. Those that self-refer are really coming forward when they're already isolated, but not necessarily in such a bad place that they need mental health services, for example. So they're not in crisis, as you mentioned. It's prevention. It really is prevention. And we're able to kind of just move them on, improve their mental health before things Mm. get too bad. Yeah. So you mentioned creative cafes as one of the things that you do. Do you want to expand a little bit more on that one? Sure. We ran a four week creative cafe, which was really a taster in different creative arts. We ran it in conjunction with Signal Arts, which is a local art centre in Bray. And it was over four weeks. So we advertised it in the community and we also encouraged some of our own social prescribing participants to participate in the programme. And it was really a huge success. We did a silk scarf painting workshop, which is a bit of a tongue twister. And the whole group created the most wonderful silk scarves. But the thing is, when you're focused and you're doing something, people are in the moment and present and maybe not thinking about some of their concerns, worries and problems. So the atmosphere in the room was so positive and so enjoyable. It was really a laugh for everybody. As part of that program, we did singing for well-being and we also did some some drawing and sketching. So it was quite varied and gave people just a taster of other creative activities. And subsequent to that, then we were able to signpost other groups that were in the community, a sketchers group, for example, that people could join afterwards and have something to go to every week if they enjoyed that particular group. So it was a huge success. So I have a quote here from one of our participants in the social cafe. And this person said, it has been great to spend some time socializing and learning and experiencing new things. Really enjoyed the last four weeks of activities. Thank you so much for organizing the workshops. The coordinator was so helpful and accommodating. So you just kind of get a sense of the enjoyment that people got out of it mm. and some of the benefits to them. It's incredible the way and the number of things that you have named and called out that are available in the communities in all communities, probably or in Ireland or different in different communities. And we mm-hmm. just don't know about them or people are not tapping into them in the way that they could and the way that you're helping people tap into them. And I'm sure out of those things then become friendships and different supports for people who mm-hmm. access social prescribing. Exactly. And so f- say, for example, when we've run a four week program, we can't run these programs indefinitely. 
they're just a taster, just to build up a little bit of confidence. And then we link people to what's ongoing in the community. So in Bray, we have Little Bray Community Centre and there they have a community choir, for example. That's every single week of the year almost. And people get great enjoyment out of that. There's a coffee morning in that same centre and there's a relaxation group and a chair yoga group. So once you kind of get people in the door, get them in somewhere, then they can have that ongoing support once social prescribing has concluded for them. That's excellent. So what's the future of social prescribing in your area? Or what would you like the future to be? (laughs) I'd say this is just the beginning. We've had so many developments from starting off very small with one part-time coordinator to now having one full time coordinator and a second half post and really being able to, I suppose, just meet the needs, the diverse needs within our community. Obviously, most recently, the the big change in our community was a lot of Ukrainians coming in. We've been able to also engage with a little bit of support here and there to them. So really, as the needs within the community changes, we can respond to that. Yeah. It is fantastic. It really is. I, To me, so subscribing when I heard about it, it is a little piece of magic. And it's like the simplicity of it, even though I know the background that we've discussed is a lot more complex, but the simplicity of putting people in touch with what the resources within their own community that are already there. And mm-hmm. I know in your area, you develop the programs, but it's the community helping the community and mm-hmm. its own participant. And by you moving with the needs of the community, then it's it's endless. So social prescribing is here to say stay, I would think. Absolutely. Yes. Thank you very much, Cara, for giving us a really great overview of social prescribing and how it works. And to find out more about the HSE social prescribing framework, please go to hse.ie. If you would like to refer somebody to social prescribing, please go to allirelandsocialprescribing.ie. Thank you for listening to HSE Talking Health and Wellbeing.